on 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And in Delos Corporation Vacation Packages, they got this deal where you get to have sex with hot robots, but there's a significantly higher than zero chance that the robots will flip out and murder you. So my question is, how's the minibar? <laughs> my question is, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, for you, it's win-win, right? <laughs> sex and death. Yikes. Hooray. Well, uh, I don't know where to take that. I mean, it's funny, but it's death. But yeah, this week we're doing Westworld, watching the old 1973 Michael Crichton film and uh, comparing it to the 2016 series of the same name. Yeah, got all sorts of robot dicks on the forefront. <laughs> Lots of dicks and vaginas. It's more more dicks than Watchmen. Uh, way more dicks. I have, to, I have to preempt this. I've been watching it with Susie. And it got to the point where I could not watch another episode. But she started having dreams where she kept walking in on people while they were changing or like walking on in on people while they were in the shower and that sort of thing. Because there was so much freaking nudity in Westworld. Well, you're welcome. Well, it doesn't do me any good. I mean, she's dreaming. We're getting her all randy. So if you like nudity, then who doesn't? You'll probably also like the shows on the Podcast Collective. The Elephant Man. Ah. Such as The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy. That sounds like a nudity show. <laughs> the Sunshine Happy No Pants Hour. Wait. No pants. That's a nudity. Uh, Mom and the New Dad? Mom and the Nude Dad. How did you know? Uh, uh, I missed that one. And of course, the New Dad Radio Hour. <laughs> perfect fantastic yep and if you're looking for some more of this stuff you can find us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, blueberry stitcher iHeartRadio. find us on spotify and head over to pod chase or leave us a review also are we still on geek life radio i don't even know no <laughs> i don't think so is there still a geek life radio there might be we need to start our own network mike and i have been discussing that well, they were an internet radio station that gave us a regular slot. Yeah, they're still around. Oh, wait. Wait, no. It says Connection failed. <laughs> new Geek Life radio site coming soon. Station is still up and running. Can play below. And both coming and running are misspelled. <laughs> so something is not working. Something is afoot. Uh, site is gay. Yikes. Something is strange. Set a six nine six nine error. <laughs> isn't that isn't that what they said on that one Discord server, Josh? Yeah, yeah. When talking about the old uh, the old uh, audio bot we use for bumpers. Oh yeah. Oh, don't change internet. Don't change. What's going on with ZT Play? ZT Play is gay. <laughs> Thank you for your help, kind sir. Yeah, it was gay <laughs> AF. That was the best. <laughs> it's like that's very helpful. Thank you Thank for the you. tech support. <laughs> I hope he's happy. It's <laughs> gay AF, ja, 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 ja. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you tech support? <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you want to give us a call and complain, uh, <laughs> number is 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You can click and call on Facebook, too. And bum, bum, bum. 
We have a voicemail. We do. Call and complain, you say. Yes. Well, well, here we go. Yeah, hey, guys, this is Fuckface. Uh, apparently, I got called out a couple episodes back, so uh, here I am. I'm calling. Just want to let you know I've been listening for a long time, and uh, I really don't know why, because you guys suck. Yeah, so Fuckface says you suck. Later. I'm not actually sure who that was. If that was listener, nope, it wasn't listener. Really, that was nope. not listener. That huh. was not listener. And it, I don't think that was Charlie. Nope, was not Charlie. Sound a little bit like Brian, the New York wine guy, but I've never heard him be that aggressive. Yeah, like who have that? we called out recently? <laughs> I don't remember anybody that you're like, hey, that fuck face is a fuck face. I don't think that's happened. Well, there's a there's a decent there's a better than better than zero chance I called the entire audience fuck faces at some point. That's true. Yeah, he ain't lying. I wonder I wonder if that was Rivet. Oh. Mm. Could be the first sighting of Rivet? I yeah. don't know. I don't know who that was. Call back, fuckface, and tell us who you were. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, we appreciate the sentiment, totally. But yeah, it's like our normal uh, long-time listeners, long-time callers are uh, Karen and Daniel, and I, would, I don't think that was either of them. If this is somebody from way back, I'm going to feel real bad. for Right? Half, Randy? For <laughs> it could be Randy. Randy Claxton? No, not Randy Claxton. Uh, the other Randy, the oh. the guy. I was thinking Randy Claxton. He still follows me on Twitter. No, not not Randy from Facebook. We actually have another listener, Randy, who used to call. But he, normally he's not uh, that aggressive either. It's a mystery. I have a tendency to bring that out in people. Let's not gloss over that. Well, eh. I mean, yeah. Fuck face. I was kind of always like this. <laughs> Call back anytime. Hooray. We appreciate the feedback. All right. Well, I guess it's about that time then. I guess it is. This week in music, movies, and TV. Sometimes you get cut off and it just sounds like you say spurt. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you're trying to go like too high volume for your microphone because it's just not picking you up a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it wasn't you. and sports. It was literally just spurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sports. <laughs> that was strangely comforting. <laughs> and All right. sports, motherfucker. Oh, see, now you've gone in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah. okay. You so, just scared Mike. Uh, yeah, ah, and sports Mike. this week, just for you, October tenth, nineteen eighty-five. Starting off early with this, the death of Yul Brenner hmm. to lung cancer, and etc. 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 Well, you'll see when we get to the TV section why it was a pretty big deal. Something happened when he died. Hmm. In pop culture, is a pretty that it was a pretty good deal, pretty big deal. Let's get on the road. Pretty, pretty good, pretty good, big deal. Pretty, pretty, pretty big, pretty big. Shoot. First, the flames in his face fell off. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't All dead right. just yet. Let's let's just take it a breath. Out, here. He was a robot, actually. Oh. 
we got to take a breath because I've not seen a music this long in a while. And does anybody want to do the under over on when Joel <laughs> goes haywire on this one? Do we have anybody want to? How many? How many errors he's going to have? Or which? Which is the first word that he's going to? He's going to drive off the side of the road. Sir. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna, sister. Since you've taunted him, I'm going to say he's going to make it all the way to the final October. Ooh. And then he's going to crash and burn. On 11. <laughs> October gonna, 4th. I think impromptu is going to be his speed bump. <laughs> and take it away, Joel. No pressure. I think all of you are fuckface. <laughs> uh, Aren't we all fuckface at heart? <laughs> No, I'm fuckface. <laughs> F is for fuckface. All right. Music. The number one song in the land was Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. We all remember that video, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and it's funny because now we're talking about uh, first in video with the uh, the robot vision for Westworld, the movie. And now that was the first uh, computer generated music video ever, ever made. Yep. An excellent video. Yeah. And they got their checks for free. Ricky Helton Wilson was an American musician best known as the original guitarist and founding member of rock band the B-52s. In 1976, Ricky, his sister Cindy, Kate Pearson, Keith Strickland, and Fred Schneider shared a tropical flaming volcano drink at a Chinese restaurant and then had an impromptu music session at the home of their friend. They formed a band and played for the first time at a Valentine's Day party for friends. Wilson's unusual guitar tunings were a large contribution to the band's quirky sound. On October 12th, at the age of 32, Wilson died from complications related to AIDS following the recording of the band's fourth studio album, Bouncing Off of the Satellites. That's sad. I think I would actually be angry to learn that the B-52s had been formed any other way than over a flaming tropical (laughs) volcano drink at a Chinese (laughs) restaurant. So how did your band form? Well, we got a we got a scorpion bowl, and then it just went at a from Chinese there. restaurant. See, that's yeah. that is so perfect for the B fifty twos. Well, I got audited by the IRS, and Fred Schneider was my tax auditor. Like if you saw that in a movie or something, you'd, you'd be like, "That's that's too on the nose," yeah. right? I actually had an experience very similar to that. I went to the town of Madison, Wisconsin, to meet someone who I had met at a wedding. And our, I don't even want, really want to call it a date. The, the time we spent together was in the basement of a bowling alley in a Chinese restaurant where the Chinese restaurant owner was singing karaoke and he was doing Elvis. Like he bent him over? Yes, that was the point of that story. Jesus Christ. That sounds like a David Lynch movie. It, it was so surreal, but it was awesome because, like, <laughs> he he had a little bit of an accent, but he was like doing the hip shake as he was doing the Elvis number and trying to do an Elvis voice, and you could kind of hear the bowling balls upstairs. <laughs> it does make a good story, though. That is a funny story. Yeah, that it's got to be fifteen years ago. Wow. Yeah, because she was into improv, and this was years before I got into improv. Cool. Peter Jean Hernandez, known professionally as Bruno Mars, is an American singer, songwriter, record producer, multi-instrumentalist, and dancer. He is known for his stage performances and showmanship, and for performing in a wide range of musical styles, including pop, R&B, funk, soul, reggae, hip-hop, and rock. 
Mars is accompanied by his band, the Hooligans. He has a band called the Hooligans, who also serve as backup singers and dancers. Born October 8th and raised in Honolulu, Mars moved to Los Angeles in 2003 to pursue a musical career. Mars has sold over 130 million records worldwide, making him one of the best-selling music artists of all time. He has released seven number one singles on the hot Billboard 100 since his career launched in 2010. Mars has received several awards and nominations, including 11 Grammy Awards, three Brit Awards, nine American Music Awards, and 10 Soul Train Awards. He also holds three Guinness World Records. The Hooligans from Honolulu. Honolulu Hooligans. Honolulu. All right, and finally, Solly Paul Tex Williams was an American Western swing musician. He is best known for his talking blues style. His biggest hit was the novelty song, Smoke, 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 That Cigarette, which is a great song, by the way. It was the number five song on Billboard's Top 100 list for 1947 and was number one on the country chart that year. Williams died of pancreatic cancer on October 11th. Hey, bud, you got a spud? No, fool, but I got a cool. Now, I'm a feller with a heart of gold with the ways of a gentleman, I've been told. The kind of a feller that wouldn't even harm a flea. But if me and a certain character met, the guy that invented the cigarette, I'd murder that son of a gun in the first degree. Now, it ain't cause that I don't smoke myself, and I don't reckon they hinder your health. I've smoked them all my life, and I ain't dead yet. Have to I dig it. Well, I smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. I actually knew that song. It's a great song. I don't know that song, but I knew exactly who it was the second I heard his voice. I've heard more stuff by him, but. And I made it through the, uh, the tweet. You did make it through the tweet. You did. I was paying attention. You didn't even say October 4th. I didn't. And I made it through him. What? I didn't even remember impromptu being in there. He just blacked out. <laughs> he skipped it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Commando. Yeah. Hmm. It's a different time. Not Arnie's best. It's fun, though. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles, American actor and director, remembered for his innovative work in theater, radio, and film, died of a heart attack at the age of 70 on October 10th. Responsible for War of the Worlds and Citizen Kane, what more really do you need? Well, the movie where Charlton Heston plays a Mexican. That's actually a really good movie, uh, Touch of Evil. Yep, it is. But <laughs> just, you know, back in the day, like Charles Bronson, Native American. And yeah, it was strange. Especially when it was yeah. like, hey, your people and my people. <laughs> <laughs> and so the greatest made of people. Yeah, I've seen that movie a couple of times. <laughs> it, it's a little awkward, but it's a great <laughs> film noir film. Yes, I've, I've never seen it. That's awesome. No. And then the the big payoff at the end of the Muppet movie, where Charles Heston is still a Mexican. No, Orson Welles, you dipshit. <laughs> yeah, Orson Welles is the actual subject here. That, and if you ever want to waste an hour, watch his uh, wine commercial outtakes. Oh God, that's a train wreck. It's amazing when they parodied those outtakes on the critic. Oh my God! Oh. Yeah, it killed me. Yeah. He's doing the commercial for peas. <laughs> and green penis. Wait a minute. <laughs> peas. I hated it. That, that was such an underrated show. The critic. Right? Oh. oh. 
All right. Michelle Christine Trachtenberg, mm. born October 11th, is an American actress and model. She was in Eurotrip, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Gossip Girl, and perhaps most famously as Harriet M. Welsh in Harriet the Spy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, for me, it's always a combination, the one-two punch of Buffy and Eurotrip. That's fair. I don't think I've ever seen Eurotrip. Really? It's, I haven't it, either. It's huh. better than it. It's kind of like We're the Millers, where it's better than it should have been. Right. I'm. You guys know how picky I am with comedies. Yeah. And I like yeah. wrote, and I like Eurotrip. Huh. 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 It's one of Sarah's favorite movies. The only thing I know from it that I use all the time is "Oh, scusi, scusi." Oh. That, that's all I use from that. Well. And that's kind of funny. I like Fred Armisen. Uh, it, it's actually one of the, I would say, lower on the totem pole in terms of funny scenes in the movie, though. I didn't even know that was Fred Armisen. I just know that scene for some reason. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the awkward Italian, feely Italian guy, is Fred Armisen. Hmm. I'll have to check that out then. I need to laugh at something. Recommended. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. So on to TV. The top shows in the land were The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Murder, She Wrote, and Cheers. So, yeah. Yep. No surprises there. Murder, She Wrote. Why doesn't anybody ever have her? To- um, my Aunt Fletcher's coming over. I'm out. <laughs> Everywhere she went, man. Death followed. I tell him she was just an incredibly smart mass murderer. <laughs> she was a murderer every single time, and she managed to pin it on somebody else. So, Wouldn't that be a hell of a like a reboot? They come I was back just and, about to say that if wow, they, that, would that would be a hell of a hell of an idea for a reboot. I think they kind of did a uh, like not that exact concept, but a spin on that idea, and fairly recently, like in the last year or two, hmm. I could have sworn I saw an advertisement on Facebook for something like that. All right. So a few days after Yul Brynner's death, an anti-cigarette public service announcement filmed just days before his death was shown on all the major U.S. television networks and in many other countries. In it, he expressed his desire to make an anti-smoking commercial after discovering how sick he was and that his death was imminent. He then looked directly into the camera and said, now that I'm gone, I tell you, don't smoke. Whatever you do, just don't smoke. Damn. And then he died the next day after the commercial came out. That is messed up. Wow. Uh, I, I think I've said this on the show before, and I mentioned it to Laura when we were watching Westworld last night, but uh, I had the, the pleasure of seeing Yul Brenner and the King and I before he passed. Wow. Wow. That, that's like his feature role. That's awesome. Yep. I didn't quite get it at the time, of course, being a, a ute, but I've been grateful to my mom for taking me to the theater, theater a lot as a kid and uh, getting the chance to see, see him in that role. He, he played the king in over 4,600 performances. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of a signature role, man. Yep. All right. So moving on. The acronym of the week. Starts right out on the next bullet point, which is T-C-B-A-S-S. And I can't wait to hear what that is. This is television, so it could only be one thing. The country's best anal seepage show. (laughs) (laughs) Is that on after Dr. Pimple Popper? (laughs) No, that's right before America's Funniest Home Videos. 
And after keeping up with Kardashians. <laughs> Do I got a spot back there? There's no. a spot. It feels like there's a spot. <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. That that was the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show is what that actually was. I stood up and it got all cool all of a sudden. I think I got a spot back there. <laughs> Shut up, Mike. <laughs> Everybody else know. Shit. Oh, so the that Charlie Brown Snoopy show aired its last episode on October 12th. Replaced by the anal leakage show. Anal leakage. Seepage. They don't, seepage. They don't, seepage. Seepage. Also, John Leonard Olson was an American radio personality and television announcer. Olson is perhaps best known for his work as the announcer in the game shows To Tell the Truth, What's My Line, Match Game, and The Price is Right. He was working on the latter series at the time of his death on October 12th. Was he the guy in the plaid jackets all the time? Johnny Olson? Yeah. Yeah. The truth. I'd just like to point out that we played Smoke, Smoke, Smoke That Cigarette and then talked about Orson Welles dying from, or Orson Welles, Neil Brenner dying from lung cancer. Wow. I think that was deliberate. Was that deliberate, Patrick? No. Okay. God damn it. I set you up for like a good thing and you just like. It's all all chaos, man. So on to sports. Anything that happens like we planned it, <laughs> total coincidence. <laughs> yep. Nobody planned shit. It all goes to hell. These show notes were written by a team of monkeys. Everything makes more sense now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. One of them was played by Charlton Heston. <laughs> <laughs> Your people, my people. <laughs> he gets a little money in his pocket. He hires a team of monkeys. <laughs> you typed it up, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> These are the sound financial decisions that we have come to know from Patrick. <laughs> They've gotten me to this point of success in my life. <laughs> Anti Tony Robbins. I'm, I'm going to make a video like that one Asian guy, you know, except for he's hanging out on a yacht with supermodels. I'm going to be like just laying in my bed with my dog Lucy, be like, you too can have this life, huh? <laughs> Read my book. all right moving on to sports on october 5th grambling's eddie robinson won his then record 324th football game as a college football coach wow yeah yeah there's now four guys with over 400 and eddie robinson is i think number three on October 6th, at 46 years old, the Yankees' Phil Necro became the 18th pitcher to win 300 career games. He was also the oldest to pitch a shutout as the Yankees beat Toronto 8-0. to 46. Yep. Mm-hmm. And still pitching. Nolan Ryan was still throwing no-hitters at that age, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you just think about the wear and tear and, and the stress and everything they put their arms through on a regular basis to have that longevity. That That's impressive. Well, I think yeah. at that point, it's all their arm can do. <laughs> right. You know, don't yeah. ever ask them to pass the cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a rookie of the year. Dad, Dad you want to go to the front yard and play catch? He <laughs> <laughs> knocks your teeth out. <laughs> no, son, I already killed your mother that way. The Harlem Globetrotters added a female basketball player to their roster for the first time ever on October 8th, Olympic gold medalist Lynette Woodard. She spent two years with the team and later signed with the newly formed WNBA, where she's also played two seasons. Then what happened? She retired. 
Yeah. And lastly, there's some new cricket facts in here for you boys. It's been a while. Ooh, I'm rubbing my hands. Dead this week on October 12th, John William Wilson was an Australian cricketer who played in one test match in 1956. A left-arm spinner who delivered the ball at almost medium pace, Wilson was nicknamed Chuck or Chucker because of the jerkiness of his action, a legacy of a childhood injury. He toured England with Australia in 1956, but he never adapted himself to English conditions and lacked finger spin. His one successful match on the tour came at Bristol, where he took 12 Gloucestershire wickets for 61 runs in the match, at one point taking six wickets and seven overs for no runs as the county were all out of just for 44 in their first innings. I did not pronounce that incorrectly. That is exactly what it said. I don't know what any of that means. His 7-4-11 in that inning remained his best bowling performance. His batting was generally considered poor with a highest first-class score of 19 not out. On the 1956 tour of England, he scored just 23 runs all summer. I reread that sentence and I blacked out. (laughs) Right? That sentence doesn't seem to make any sense, but I copied it verbatim. He took it's 12 successful. wickets for 61 no, runs. No, 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 no. 12 Gloucester. Gloucester wicket. wickets for 61, 61 runs, runs in the match. At one point, taking six wickets in seven overs for no runs as the county were all out for just 44 in their first innings. I've. What does the county have to do with anything? Did he play for the county? I thought he was mm-hmm. playing against Gloucester. No, he was the coward of the county. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Gloucestershire. 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 Worcestershire. Gloucestershire. Yeah, it's like Worcestershire, but Gloucestershire. With more yeah. Glouse. Right. You put a little puff of air into it. Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. It's better than the other one because the other one is Worcestershire. 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 Yeah, I'm right. It's better than yours. <laughs> I I I think we're done. Yeah, yeah gonna... I think on that on that note, why don't you why don't you play us off, keyboard Joel? No, 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 no. So Michael Crichton, author, director, movie writer too. <laughs> Jurassic Parker. I was going to say theme park designer. Yeah, just don't want to <laughs> yeah. go to any of them. Yeah, all of his kind of suck. What if all the theme parks included death? Oh. I like the way you're going. Yeah, like so, the, uh, the Sims or what are the roller coaster tycoon? What's the in their theme park game? Yeah, theme park. Oh, yep. there you go. I <laughs> mean, roller coaster tycoon too. You, you yeah, could, you could actually do that in some versions. Two or also, also, also. well, both. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. No clue. Anyway, Michael Crichton directed and wrote the 1973 Westworld. IMDb so nicely says a robot malfunction creates havoc and terror for an unsuspecting vacationers in a futuristic adult themed amusement park. I mean, pretty accurate. They're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, not the worst, not the worst one we've ever seen. It's a pretty good description. I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) It would have been funny if it just said robots, robots, robots. (laughs) 
but yes, so Michael Crichton, known for such things, like we said before, as Jurassic Park, Westworld, The Andromeda Strain, 13th Warrior, Sphere. Uh, he's got a ton of great, you know, Twister, Congo. Well, maybe not Congo. Congo wasn't bad. Congo, I mean, Congo wasn't awful. It was better than uh, Outbreak. The yeah, monkeys should have been in a theme park. Oh. <laughs> With robots and dinosaurs. Yes. Monkeys on roller coasters. I'd watch that. So there was also a Beyond Westworld series that came out in 1980. Lasted for one season. I did not know that. And lasted for five episodes. Uh, starring Jim McMullen, James Wainwright, a bunch of other people you haven't heard of. Jim McMullen. Oh, yeah, Jim McMullen. We remember him playing party guest in Batman and Robin. All right. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Uh, there's also, oh, the other one, actually, another one of his movies that I really love, like and wish they would redo it, The Great Train Robbery. Where he played party guest? No, the movie itself, Ding Dong. Sean Connery, Donald Sutherland, Leslie and Down. No, I thought you said this McMullen guy was in that movie. McMillan. Might have been. I don't know. Oh. Those are a little thrill. How'd we get to the great train robbery? It was written by Michael Crichton. Oh. Yeah. I'm just pointing out, he wrote a lot of good stuff. I follow you now. Yeah. So, uh, the cast. Well, it wasn't that far of a, of a leap. No. He was well, talking I mean, about Michael Crichton. Shut your mouth. <laughs> so, I'm just saying, pay attention. I am. Starring Yul Brenner as <laughs> Gunslinger. Richard Benjamin as Peter Martin. James Brolin as John Blaine. Norman Bartold as Medieval Knight. Ellen Oppenheimer as the Chief Supervisor. Victoria Shaw as the Medieval Queen. A1, Dick Van Patten, getting it on as the Sheriff. As his title's just Banker. Linda Gay Scott as Arlette. I don't know if you guys remember this or know this. I, Josh, maybe, or Mike, maybe even. Uh, Alan Oppenheimer, do you know one of his most famous roles? He's a uh, big voice actor. He created the atomic bomb. <laughs> I was going to say that joke. I'll get you, beast man. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's the voice of uh, Skeletor. Yep. Among other multiple. Uh, he's had like 800 credits or some crazy shit. But. Oh, yeah. He, just, oh, he did the voice in the movie Nine. God, he's all over the place. Yeah. But he does acting too. But I, yeah, I was, I was like, why do I know this guy's face? So I looked it up and I was like, oh, hell, it's Skeletor. Very cool. So some trivia on this one. Director John Carpenter based the indestructible nature of his killer, Michael Myers, in Halloween on Yul Brenner's character in this film. And similarly, Arnold Schwarzenegger used Brenner's performance as the basis of his Terminator in uh, 1984's Terminator. I can see both of those. Huh. That's some good trivia. Ain't it? Oh, there's some good stuff on here. So the first use of computer digitized images as part of a feature film, not just graphic monitor graphics. This was actually processed through a, through a uh, very big computer back then was the gunslinger's point of view in Westworld. All that like kind of pixelated stuff mm -hmm. after the process was finally developed enough to set us give satisfactory result. It took a mirror eight hours to produce each 10 seconds of footage for his vision. So I referred to as cross stitch vision. Right. And it was all done by one guy for $40,000. Hmm. 
Which you could do now on a free app you could download from the app store. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but come on, $40,000. They actually went to a a lab to do it, and they were like, yeah, we can do it. It'll cost you $400,000, and we'll have it done in like a week, a month. And even though that it took a month to shoot this movie, they shot the whole thing in 30 days. He stepped in and said, I'll do it, and cranked out that this was like the longest thing it took. It took him three times as long, but first time they've ever had actual computer graphics in a movie. So cool. Uh, also the robot that Yul Brenner portrays is an homage spoof of his character, Chris from the magnificent seven. And he wears the same costume. Hmm. That's kind of cool. The Western set was later used in blazing saddles. <laughs> nice. That's a good pull. Ain't that yeah, great trivia? Recognize that. Yeah. yeah. You know what though? I, I was watching it. I was typing these up while I was watching it. And it was one of those like, ah, it looks familiar. And then I saw that and then I couldn't not see it. Right. Yeah. I imagine next time I see this, it's, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, and right. You're, you're going to wonder why Mel Brooks is wandering down the middle of the street. <laughs> like, I'll be looking for Mongo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the in, inside, like the, the sheriff's um, office and all that, and the, the jail, it's all the same thing. So. Well, one of the store signs was like flowers and beans or something like that. <laughs> That's a thing from the Old West. Get flowers and beans. Go down to the bean store. And uh, also... Pick up some daisies. Richard Benjamin and James Brolin were cast less than 48 hours before they started filming. Crazy. Not those flowers. F-L-O-U-R, Pat. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And that is crazy. How do you learn a script in that short amount of time? Those guys are basically your leads. Right. We don't have any. We got the, we got Yul Brenner. We got the computer graphics. What do we need? Do we have the leads? Shit. Someone call Richard Benjamin. He's finishing up Saturday the 14th. Someone forgot to hire a casting director. <laughs> Van Patten. <laughs> yeah. He just showed up one day on set. He's like, you guys need anybody? <laughs> I can be, I can be fussy. <laughs> Does anybody uh, remember Richard Benjamin from one of our previous shows? No, he was Major Danby in Catch Twenty Two. Mm. All right, yeah. I kept looking at him like, why is he so familiar? And I was looking him up, trying to find something that jumped out at me, and I, I missed that one. Strangely enough, what jumped out at me was Saturday the Fourteenth. Richard Benjamin and Jeffrey Tambor joy of a movie. I saw that in the theater. I remember loving it so much. I remember thinking it was a great movie. I thought Richard Benjamin was hilarious. Jeffrey Tambor was hilarious. And then I watched it again and I was like, what was wrong with me? Yeah, I don't want to watch it. It Roger Corman. It was? Yeah, Roger Corman produced that one. I don't want to watch it again. I think his wife may have even written or directed it or both. I don't remember. Hmm. Vanity Project? Well, no, she did a lot of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is, is this a first viewing for anybody? Yes. Yes. It is, actually, and I was surprised. I swore I'd seen it before, but I did not remember uh, any of it. I was wow. the same way. Uh, it's going to spoil a little bit for the second half, but uh, I, I've been pushing to do this show for two years yes. because I'm a huge fan of the HBO show. Mm. So spoilers for the second half. But despite being a huge fan of the HBO Westworld, I'd never actually seen the movie until today. Hmm. Yep. 
This is the third time I've seen it. Really? Yeah. I've always liked this movie. I thought it was a neat take. I can't believe none of you guys have seen it before. You know, I think it was just one of those things where it's like I always kind of, I, I would see it like it would go to rent a movie or something. And I'm like, ah, I think I've seen that, but never picked it up. It's like, I kind of know what's going on. It was made in the 70s, so it's probably kind of boring. I basically get it. And you know what? I was really pleasantly surprised by how watchable this was. I was too. And see, I went through a phase where I was watching like James Coburn and Charles Bronson and Charlton Heston and all these kind of macho 70s actors, 60s and 70s actors, Lee Marvin. which included Ewell Brenner. And for some reason, I thought I snuck it in there when I was watching all those movies for a while. And I didn't. I The movie was all right. The only thing I was kind of surprised is how thin the plot was. It was it felt like it was just. I mean, you got what you got, what you came for. People go to a West world Western theme park and the robots go crazy. And it's been parodied so many times in pop culture, not just the Simpsons, but probably best in the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. But like it it has been borrowed from, it's been adapted. It's been turned on its head. So I think that it's, it's not like there's a massive, incredible, like compelling story going on here. But if you remove all that extra context of it having been remixed a billion times, there's enough there just in terms of new, interesting stuff in 73 to carry the film all the way through. Yep. And that was something I had to remind myself of every while I was watching it was, yeah, this I mean, we're like you said, I've seen this done a thousand times before, but this is the people that were this is the first time they had ever seen this. This is a totally new concept, and it probably blew people's minds. When they when they first saw it, because and the effects were decent. This is before Industrial Light and Magic. This is years before Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Not all the effects held up. Some, especially at the beginning, like in the hovercraft, those didn't look great. But it's still it's years before Star Wars, so I'm going to give it some slack. Part of the interest of it, culturally at least, you have to think of it from the, the lens of everybody had just started learning and, and embracing the automation in their kitchens and in their homes and things like that. And like the whole movement of these robots are going to overthrow us and kill and kill us all was just becoming popular in sci-fi. And this was the first movie that really kind of captured that. And now we're getting very close to the actual singularity. Yeah. Before we get too far away from the effects, there is one effect that I got to call out as being amazing on how they did it. Was it the glasses of the guy driving the hovercraft? Because that was that though. That's an awesome shot. But there's a practical effect when the acid is thrown in Yul Brynner's face. What they actually did is they took his makeup and uh, took crushed up Alka Seltzer and blended it in with his makeup, and then huh. the acid was just water and it reacted with the Alka Seltzer. So that was all real. That is so. That's what I love about practical effects is that you can get such a great effect out of it. And it's so stupidly simple. That's clever. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to make sure before we got away from the effects that I mentioned that because I I noticed that when I was reading about the movie and I thought that was so cool. So I want to toss this out there on the reception of this movie. So one of the things that was going on at this time was Yul Brenner was almost broke when they approached him to this. You know, he had he had almost no money left to his name. 
they approached him to this. He was like, fine, yeah, it'll pay the rent. It grossed $2 million in 1973 dollars at 275 theaters in only Chicago, Detroit, and Cleveland. It was MGM's biggest box office success of that year. And then later on, by the end of 73, it earned $4 million in rentals. I guess that's sort of rentals at different theaters. Another $4 million. And then they re-released it in 1976, and it earned $7.3 million. Yeah, and nobody was taking a chance on the script. Nobody was taking a chance on Yul Brenner. And the general perception was that MGM makes shitty movies in 73. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's interesting is that Future World came out in 76. That's probably why they re-released it was to capitalize on the release of Future World. Go see Westworld and Future World as a double feature. Is my guess. That'd be kind of cool. But one of my favorite parts of it was Yul Brenner's character. And I almost kind of wish that there would have been more of him just like stalking people. Just because he, he just he was kind of terrifying, you know, it was somewhere between like they were saying Michael Myers or it follows, you know, where this just this kind of unstoppable force just is plowing through anybody just to get to the one person that he's after. Uh, and I thought that was really the, the best part of the movie. Personally, I, I just pointed out, I did not realize that Yul Brynner was so short. I thought he was a lot taller. I guess it must be in that. The King and I outfit made him look taller. Bill Brenner, 5'8". That's not too bad. I mean, but, you know, I mean, he's not like Tom Cruise short, but he's definitely No, but when you put him up against like James Brolin. He's shorter than all of us. But he he has a a kind of personality and kind of a, the the way he's. Charles Bronson was 5'8", also, wasn't he? He was fairly short, too. Huh. Um, but he was built like a brick shithouse. Is that about, like, Tom Cruise height? <laughs> I know he's well regarded for being short. Tom Cruise is supposedly 5'6". Charles Bronson was 5'9". Tom Cruise, according to this, is 5'7 on Google. But I'm thinking he might be a little shorter than that. Yeah. But anyway, back to Westworld. So... I also like that they had more than just the one world. I did not know that there were multiple worlds in this. It was kind of neat to see the well, they're not so much in uh, the ancient Rome world, which just which was basically just a giant orgy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's my idea for Rome world. They're just banging. No, OK. They should have just called it Caligula world. Ooh. Oh, welcome to Caligula world. Here's your horse. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Where and the horse you ran in on is a totally different meaning. Oh. Yeah. yeah, the the uh, medieval world, I thought, was kind of... I, I had one question, though, because they explained why you can't shoot a human with the guns. Uh-huh. That was my question, okay? Can't shoot a human with the guns because the, the body temperature is too high and the gun knows it. Okay, right. cool. I'll buy it. Not the best tech idea, but I'll buy it. What about the other worlds where people are walking around with swords? <laughs> yep i asked the same question to laura last night like is there some sort of like radar sword radar or something on that that you know oh i stabbed you oh feel that temperature it's too hot you shouldn't have stabbed him um, but the sword goes limp if it gets near anything too warm i mean the swords did were a little floppy in the sword fights 
they were they were not the best the best props maybe the instructions are just given to the guests in medieval world okay just don't stab anybody with the tip <laughs> like you could whack them with the side because these swords kind of suck they're basically nerf but if you stab anyone with the tip of the sword they're going to die <laughs> not the tip not the tip now I, with the other worlds I, I felt like at least in this film we could have done without the guy going to medieval world and seeing his getting stabbed or uh, too much of of roman world or was it roman world is that right Rome world or I don't know world. It felt to- like a Togoland. <laughs> and they could have just focused more on kind of the, the same things that were kind of going on there and just made them all part of Westworld and just kind of touched on there's these other worlds and maybe showed a clip here and there on the monitor. Cause I felt like it just kind of was out of place where this, you know, the one guy is trying to seduce the queen and then he's got to fight the black knight. And I was just like, it, it felt like they were trying to do too much. And it took away from the Westworld story, which was the title of the film. And especially after watching the the current series, there was a lot more they could have done. Well, maybe if they had just cast a different character, but they were trying to convey like, you know, the middle-aged man, his fantasies, I think. Yeah. And they were trying to show it happening all around the park. And the only reason they didn't do it in all three parks is because you go to Rome world and you've got hardcore porno turns into snuff film. And it was a PG movie. So, you know, right. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like it hurt the film because you either needed an additional, you know, 15, 20 minutes runtime to expand on things a little, or you need to cut down on the other stuff and just minimalize it. My that's just my opinion, and it did suffer a bit from seventy spacing. It picked up a, a bit at the end. Well, I mean, this I think is the rare instance where Joel is much harder on the movie than the rest of us because I'm not sure I agree with any of that at all. Well, and it may be also I, I you know I ran through the entire Westworld series, and I was like, I want to watch this last because I don't know if I've actually seen it, and I don't want to spoil anything. And then I did watch Future World today, right before the show which is truly a sequel. And there are some elements in both films that did kind of take place in the movie or the series. And that's maybe why I'm being a little hard on it because future world takes place. I think it's about two years after Westworld, the the massacre happened and Delos decides to rebuild reopen. They, they expand the parks and then they add a future world and they keep Westworld closed and they have a section under construction and they, they according to the film they spent a billion dollars to rebuild it and they've got a couple of reporters that come out there most of the staff is robots now and Peter Fonda and Blythe Danner show up be careful how far you delve into the plot of Future World because it will spoil seasons of Westworld that Mike and Pat have not watched are you sure yes Okay. Some that, some of the plot stuff doesn't happen until super late season two or even season three. There are there are definitely some things that cross over, but yeah. needless to say, things go sideways again in some regard. And it it's got kind of a fun ending. I thought it was a little bit more entertaining than Westworld, although there was some what the fuck moments in it where I was both Laura and I were looking at each other just laughing because it was so strange what they did, but it was a decent follow-up and it kind of expanded the world a little more, not as much as the series did, but 
if you like this, it's worth at least checking out, and it's on Prime for free. So, sorry. I, I wonder if the reason why the rest of us, uh, well, Pat was had already seen it a couple times, but why Mike and I aren't as rough on it as you are is at least for me, maybe for Mike too. Uh, my expectations were super low. Like I was expected expecting to be bored, and when I wasn't, I was into it. Here's a thing about me with this. I love 70s sci-fi. Give me some Logan's Run. Give me some Andromeda Strain, the Omega Man, Soylent Green. You know, mm-hmm. I love those. Mike's a big fan of hexagons. Yes. <laughs> Silent Running, THX 1138. Oh, yeah. Give me, you know why? Because growing up, I watched all those movies on like the CBS movie of the day when I got home from school. You know, do you remember how they had that? You had you had like a, a like a two in ten chance of it being Sybil again. <laughs> it was, I've seen Sybil so many freaking times, but they had all these. Uh, they would show this movie, a, a movies like maybe four o'clock every day. They'd play it, and after I finished my homework, before I had dinner time, so I would watch all this stuff and Planet of the Apes. Seen all those, you know that this is. I, I really I love sci fi as a whole, but I do have a love for that weird seventies you know, freaky-ass robots, and I really wish they would redo Logan's run because I bet they could do so much cool stuff with it. And I agree with you, 100%. I, I love Soylent Green and Omega Man and all that. I I love, I love it. But there's a lot more going on, and there's a lot deeper storyline, and I felt like Michael Crichton had a really cool concept and just failed to sell it. I don't think he failed to sell it. I think he... Have have you have you seen um, Andromeda Strain? I have not. No. Okay, that's kind of where they let Michael Crichton go. Cool, knock yourself out. His movies get like I think Great Train Robbery is two and a half hours long, if I remember correctly. His stuff can get pretty intense. I mean, his writing and his books and and that style can get really kind of deep and i think they found a good acceptable where you get a decent michael crichton story out of it and you don't get a michael crichton story that's going to freak people out because he's going all over the place on it so i think there's a good balance on this one for both ends of the ends of the candle chain well yeah (laughs) and the the horror he wants to like put us put into our heads isn't just the robots going crazy and killing everyone who thought they were safe the horror is that when it first starts happening, the guys in charge don't immediately shut down the parks. Right. That's the thing. And then they all wind up dying uh, because the air runs out in the control room. Okay, that's one thing I did have an issue with. What engineer is going to do that? I don't even understand. Okay. Two things. One, who the hell builds a room like that? And two... By all the computers and things that were surrounding them, that room should have been at least 120 degrees all the time. Right. It's like, if the power goes out, I guess we all fucking die. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was a, a big, big flaw. Was was that in the contract explicitly? Yeah. <laughs> One thing that pulled me out was the cuckoo clock noise for the bar fight. But then again, I was like, 70s. I guess I didn't notice that. Oh yeah, somebody gets hit in the head with a chair or a bottle or something, and he go he does the cross eyed bobble before he falls down, and they had uh, foleyed in uh, cuckoo cuckoo clock noises on it. 
Yeah, yeah very it, cartoon. Yeah. But that, that bar fight was sort of cartoon because you got the impression that the humans in the bar fight weren't really getting hurt. Yeah. And Dick Van Patten. Trying to tr- just desperately wanting to get a drink and the bottle keeps getting busted. Well, that and waking up with the blonde in his bed and doing that that uh, fourth wall break smile. Right. I guess eight was enough. <laughs> <laughs> We've all heard about Dick's Van Patten. <laughs> yeah, that was one too far. Yeah. I'm surprised I hadn't seen it. I had not seen it despite seeing all the other ones, but like I said, it's 70s sci-fi. I just assumed I had seen it before, and when stuff started popping up, and I was like, oh, I totally don't recall ever this, seeing this. No, but there you go. So are we done? Move on? I mean, as much as I like this, I am super psyched to talk about I know, the oh, I know, I know, I, I know. I do have one last thing. Laura wanted me to bring this up, so there was one scene in this, because... You know, we always call robots robots, and it's just a thing. And when one of the guys in the movie called them robots, I got so excited and started like, I even clapped. I was like, yes. And I was laughing so hard. And then she laughed at me. So she wanted me to bring that up. And now we're going to laugh at you. Yeah, robots. <laughs> Before we go to the break, we haven't heard a whole lot from Pat, and he's the one who's seen it three times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to get a little bit of that Patrick perspective. The first time I saw this movie was uh, with my father when I was young. I didn't remember a whole lot about it other than it, it kind of looked cool. I saw it again a few years back for the second time uh, just to kind of be like, you know, because I was like, I remember watching this. I want to watch it again as an adult, and I enjoyed it. And then the third time I watched it was for this show. I think I don't think there's any problem with the, the pacing at all. My main problem I have with it is um, Peter is a very annoying character. And it's hard to root for your lead when he's just very annoying. So other than that, I really don't disagree with much of anything anybody said. There's, I mean, there's other than Joel, you know, having problems with it. I, I really enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah. I wanted to see how your perspective might've differed since you were the one who had seen it before, who had seen it before today. And I get that uh, you were annoyed by Peter. I think it's almost a clever inversion of what you would expect because there's so many western cliches and you expect james brolin to be the action hero you expect him to be the one to make it to the end not his dipshit friend Mm -hmm. right and as soon as things go wrong he's fucking dead so i will give the movie credit for that that surprised me yeah but the problem with that is you know you're killing your guy that has charisma too that's fair. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I 100% get on board with your perspective, but I don't think it's an unfair criticism. I think the movie would have been better if they had switched those two actors in those roles. See, I think it was more of a guy who's just there, who's kind of clueless about the whole thing, kind of has to man up and save his own life run, you know, against this thing. Against evil. Yeah, I get it. I, I get it. He's, yeah. he's more of like the everyman. But I just, I, I think this particular character was annoying. That's yeah. all. And, and don't get me wrong, I didn't hate the movie. I just felt like there were some wasted opportunities. I would watch it again just to watch Yule Brenner, and especially when he starts chasing him and they get into their whole tete I, I, I loved his first scene in the bar when he bumps into him and he just keeps talking about, you know, baby needs a baby needs a bottle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
that's the other movie that I uh, remember seeing Richard Benjamin in. Love at First Bite, starring Susan St. James and George Hamilton as Count Dracula. <laughs> A very tan Count Dracula. <laughs> Unusually tan. <laughs> You're strangely dark for a vampire. What's up with that? So, I can hear Josh da- jumping up and down right now because we're so close. Yeah. So, I'm so close. We're going. God bless it. Okay, we're going to be back, take a break, clean up, and uh, come back and talk about Westworld, the HBO show. So, stick around. We'll be right back. These violent delights have violent ends. All right, so now on to Westworld 2016, the show that absorbed my brain so much I almost forgot to watch the original. <laughs> That's a true story, folks. That is. I was doing the show notes for the show tonight, and I was like, oh, I got to watch that. Now, I only got, it was only like two hours until we, we went on. Set at the intersection of the near future and the reimagined past, explore a world in which every human appetite can be indulged without consequence. That's decent. Gives you enough teaser on there. Robots, robots, robots. Yes. So this is created by Lisa Joy and uh, Jonathan Nolan, who is currently working on a Fallout-themed TV show based off the video game. Who's Christopher Nolan's brother, who's done a lot of stuff with him as well. Hmm. Hmm. And then uh, Lisa Joy also did stuff like Pushing Daisies and one of my actually shows that I really enjoy is Burn Notice. She is a hell of a storyteller and knows how to put plot elements in that are almost like hand grenades or landmines that aren't going to go off for like another two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that going on here. So we also have in the cast, Thandy Newton. Tandy. Wait, Tandy. Tandy, yep. And Tandy, okay. Tandy, like the computers. Yeah. Maeve plays Maeve Malay. Jeffrey Wright plays uh, Bernard Lowe. Ed Harris as the man in black, as his most Ed Harris-y I've ever seen him. <laughs> Even Rachel Wood as Dolores Abernathy. Tessa Thompson as Charlotte Hale. James Mardson as the Teddy Flood. Luke Hemsworth as Ashley Stubbs. Angela Serafin. Serafine? Serafine? Sarah Fine. Fine? I'm not sure. Angela Sarah Fine as Clementine Pennyfeather. Anthony Hopkins is Dr. Robert Ford. Simon Quatermain as Lee Sizemore. And Rodrigo Santoro as Hector Escaton. There's so many. I, you know, the thing is, there are so many good characters in this and so many of them that are so relevant to the plot. I didn't want initially this to be this long, but I kind of have to. Uh, Shannon Woodward as Elise. Elsie. Elsie. Elsie, God, what's wrong with my eyes, man? I hope I'm not getting late, late set. What does it call when the number worse? Diabetes. Around. Diabetes. I got <laughs> diabetes. Dyslexia. Dyslexia diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy Simpson as William. Some trivia on this one. Ben Barnes, who plays Logan, broke his foot before arriving to the first day of shooting. Being afraid of losing the job, he didn't tell anybody and just used the limp to look like a character choice. Unfortunately, then he had to maintain the limp throughout the entire filming of the show. Nice. 
<laughs> like, great idea. But during season one, a photo of Juliet, William's wife, is briefly visible in a shot. And the internet being what it is, this happens. This is not deliberately a photo of an actress whom showrunners intended to cast as Juliet. Rather, it was simply a stock image of a woman in Times Square that the props department bought from Getty Images, uh, where the title is called Cab Passing Woman in Times Square at Night. However, many viewers recognize the model in the stock photo as Claire Unabaya, who had appeared in the reality competition show America's Next Top Model. So when they cast the character of younger Juliet for season two, they got Claire and put her in the role. That's awesome. That's crazy. So, Like we said earlier, anything that looks like it was going according to plan, completely random. <laughs> for Westworld as well as 40 going on 14. All right. so. Also, showrunners Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy wanted to give the series more of a Blade Runner feel and decided that they wanted this to be much darker and more cerebral than the original Westworld. I think succeeded. it succeeded. Yes. Yeah, mission accomplished. Now, I have been watching... Uh, Man in Black is one of my favorite characters. Really? Well, it, yeah, just the kid's character arc is... At least as much as I've watched... Yeah, I'm really his character arc going from where he with the start to where he is now. But I always pay attention to when he sits down, he starts cleaning his gun hmm. and he's got the main barrel for the bullets. But it seemed like what normally would hold like a cleaning pin or something underneath the barrel. That's freaking huge. Below the barrel for the for the actual bullet. His pistol is a rare Lamat 1861 revolver. It is a nine-shot, 42-caliber cylinder with an additional single-shot, 20-gauge shotgun barrel right below the sec- the main gun. Nice. It's a, I, it, While the real Lamat was notoriously unreliable, a presumably perfected version would give its owner a serious firepower advantage over a typical Wild West shooter. Which I would say so. Yeah, three more bullets plus a shotgun shell. Right? <laughs> That's some great trivia. I mean, and I I looked it up. I mean, and this thing is like you you change out. There's a switch on the hammer that you flip, and it goes from shooting bullets to shooting the 12-gauge, which kind of explains how sometimes the man in black was able to take out somebody with just one shot. Yeah, knowing where you are in the series, I'm not going to address other things. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. We're all in different areas right now. <laughs> Yeah, Joel has finished everything. I'm halfway through the last season. Patrick finished season one, and you're midway through season two? I believe, yeah. I'm probably two-thirds of the way through season two. It's a pretty good chunk. So I'm going to have to tread, well, Josh and I both will have to tread lightly. Well, I mean, the most relevant direct comparison is going to be season one. And as much as I enjoy the deeper themes they get into in seasons two and three, I'd have to say as a fan of the show, Season one is still my favorite. It would be incomplete without the further details that get put in in the later seasons. And the mysteries, it would have been like a total ripoff if we hadn't discovered some of the mysteries from season one that have been uncovered in later seasons. But if I have to just pick one season, I'm going to go with season one. Because it's got the most cowboy shit. (laughs) Yeah. And did you notice they mentioned it? Uh, they make mention a couple times, but there's six parks. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as they've been going through it, we've been trying to 
count them off. Like, Lord, I've been trying to keep track. And as you get further into it, you learn more. But it's interesting because, you know, it, it does, again, tie back directly to the original story, which I believe Michael Crichton did have a hand in this, didn't he? In some regard, he wasn't listed in your notes, but I, I thought, and maybe it was just it was based on his. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if he had a direct, like, production hands-on or even a consultation role. Yeah, he, he, he didn't because he died in 2008. Never mind then. That would, yeah, that would have interfered. I did not realize they, that. They just stood there like, is it okay if we do this, Mike? <laughs> He's like, all right, just take silence. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say the same thing. We'll take your silence as consent. Oh, no. I call that the Weinstein Clause. Yikes. Yikes. Oh. Patrick, why did you far? say that? Ooh. Jesus, Pat. Even I didn't go that far. <laughs> robots, robots, robots. I just made a Jeffrey Epstein joke. I didn't go that far. That's true. So a lot of this delves really into the what happens if the robots aren't just robots, but not only their bodies are indistinguishable from humans, but their minds are too. And what if the AI is sort of learning what it's like to be a person and they can remember all the horrible things the guests are doing to them? That's kind of where we start. And the questions are fascinating and the way everything plays out with the deeper mysteries of what happened to Ford's earlier partner, Arthur. What's the deal with the man in black? Was it Arthur or Arnold? Arnold. Arnold. Arnold, You're right. Arnold. It's an incredibly well-written, well-thought-out, very... There's a lot of questions, a lot of morality questions. And it's funny because... You know, when when talking about this, it had came up. Uh, I, I won't provide any context, but at least one person that I know mentioned that they had started watching the first episode and have tried a few times and just can't get through it because it's too smart. And the dialogue is is something you definitely have to pay attention to. It's kind of like uh, Deadwood, where you can't just casually watch it. Exactly. It's it's not a show that you put on in the background. And just do other shit. If you're not paying attention, you're missing the whole point of the show. Yeah, you'll be lost within an episode. Yeah. And this is one of those where, like, I put on the subtitles because I don't want to have to go back and figure out something. I want to see exactly what they're talking about. I don't have to rehash anything or mishear something and then totally be surprised by something that happens later that I could have figured out. Yeah. And the casting on this is is brilliant. Like, nobody on this show feels like they're just there for a paycheck or like they didn't know what they were getting into. It feels like everybody that was involved with this read the script and immediately was like, please let me be a part of this. We keep rediscovering stuff of like Tessa Thompson's roles before she was Valkyrie. And she's like brilliant in everything. And I was happy to see Jeffrey Wright being such a prominent regular figure because I, I love him and, you know, he does stuff and, you know, he's out there, but here I just, his character, his character arc and just him as a whole has just been one of my personal, if you're talking about favorite characters, he's one of my personal favorite characters outside of Armistice, who isn't in the cast list here, but she's very small part. Yeah. She's, she's a pretty minor character. Uh, One thing Mike said to us a couple days ago that stuck with me is I'm not sure who the good guy is. Yep. 
And it's interesting because I'm a lot further along with Mike and I'm not sure who the good guy is or if there even is one. That's where I'm. There's some choices that are being made by characters I initially thought were the good guy. Like Dolores. Doing things that are completely antithetical to what her purpose is. And I'll just tell you by the the last episode of season three, I'm still asking that same question. Yeah, and it's not that she behaves irrationally. Like, given what she's learned about what she is and what other people are, she behaves rationally. But you're rooting for her for a while, and you realize, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> she's pretty fucking hardcore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a point where I'm like, damn, that's a lot of blood. <laughs> that's And it's a lot of blood. And that's a lot of really sadistic line that she crosses. It's what she's learned. She's been the victim and she's like, if the victim is one side of the power balance, I want to try the other side for a little bit. Mm -hmm. One of the things that this show does really well is, you know, you've got like, let's say like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where you get to a point and you know that in the last 30 minutes or whatever, there's going to be a twist. And if a twist is done well, it's truly a sight to see. But when it's done poorly, it's like, oh, Jesus, really? This show has moments where things just all of a sudden go, wait, what the fuck just happened? And I've never felt cheated on it. It always has been a worthwhile kind of surprise. There have been more, how to put it, what moments in this show than I've had in a long time. Uh, The last time I had like some, remember getting these kind of like shocking revelation type things was like kind of like with lost when lost mm-hmm. was still new before they went and did what they did <laughs> one that really threw me for a loop now joel and josh will get this one pat you'll you'll figure this one out but hi dad yep that one that for listeners that know what i'm talking about that was for me was a gotta pause gotta absorb this what um. Yeah. Before we all say what Patrick had on his mind, let's let's get his perspective. Yeah, We've yeah, been going no. pretty hardcore. Sorry. Yeah. No. What What do you mean? What I had on my mind? Well, frequently, uh, Mike and Joel and I will go back and forth because we're excited, and by the time I throw to you, you're like, "Yeah, you pretty much said what I was thinking." <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like to interrupt you guys in in your flows, you know. Right. So that's why I want to throw to you early before we've said everything that you had feelings <laughs> about uh, in the show. Well, as you guys were talking, you said something about your favorite characters and, and I'm just trying to figure out, I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite character. None of them. I mean, they're all great, but I don't, but none of them like completely and totally just jump out to me as like, this is the person that I'm really rooting for rooting for. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's no. one of the nice things about the show, though, is that there isn't necessarily one person that you can follow and say that's the lead character. And everybody is very gracious with each other to not steal the spotlight. It's definitely an ensemble piece, and they've maintained that. You could make a case for Dolores being the lead, maybe not the protagonist, but like she is the central figure that holds the entire story together. She's the linchpin for the whole show. Yeah. She's not my favorite character necessarily. It's hard for me. I, to... As a matter of fact, I almost, I almost find her a little boring. 
keep watching. <laughs> yeah, keep yeah. watching. I don't know. I it's just I, I don't know if it's the character or the actress yet, but I sometimes I get a little bit kind of. I mean, bored is is the best word. Yeah, I guess. I, 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 knowing where you are in the storyline, I can kind of see that. Yeah, but I will say she gets pretty unboring. <laughs> yeah, later on. I, I'm not sure if my favorite character is actually Bernard or maybe man, it's difficult because I also like we'll just say Charlotte. See, and Joel I, knows why I said it like that. Yeah. Mm. I'm with so you. I haven't I haven't gotten to that point. You haven't no. gotten there yet. Yeah, okay. You got a ways to go. Maybe maybe man in black, I guess, if I had to pick somebody. We've all seen the first big twist. That uh, there are two timelines going on, one from near the beginning of the park's opening and one from near the second big disaster. Yes. And that was the first. After especially after watching The Witcher twice, I should have seen that. Right. But the revelation that Jimmy Simpson's character is the man in black just before he's broken by the fact that he realizes that he's completely fallen in love with Dolores and she's not real. And it fucks his head. Yes. He's so angry at her for not being real that he spends years punishing her. And I'm not saying, okay, I like the man in black. I like his character arc because it's so intense. I mean, he literally lives in Westworld for years. And says he doesn't want to leave. Yeah, he's not. He, and, and his comment where, you know, I, I own this place. I'm God. Now, when he's when things occur, I don't want to spoil it for you, Pat. And he's kind of, he does like kind of like we do with the step back and like, holy shit, things may have been maybe getting out of hand here. You know, it's well, Pat, at least finished season one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we can talk about the massacre a little bit because I, I was looking for twists and the show still consistently surprises me. The moment, even though we should have seen it coming, it was so foreshadowed where Dolores kills Dr. Ford. Yeah. And then everything goes to shit. And uh, who I'm actually uh, pleased with is, and I didn't realize, I didn't think they were actually going to bring him back, but uh, Lee Sizemore, the author, the writer. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I'm I'm digging him returning and Rodrigo. Uh, not Rodrigo, Hector. Hector. Yeah. yeah, both Hectors. Um, he's I I really like that actor. He's he's playing it really well. I mean, he his character is believable. He's not a he's not it's not like a buddy cop movie. He's not a sidekick. No, but he's almost your analog for the old Brunner character, where he is the black hat guy that comes into town and people that want to be heroes oppose him. Mm. But even he's got an arc. For sure. You know, and one of the things when I went into this, because I I was always kind of interested by it, but Laura was selling it that, you know, we needed to watch it at some point. And then, you know, Josh, you've been pitching this for a while. The minute I started watching it and I started thinking about it, I'm like, Okay, you've got Sir Anthony Hopkins who retired for a while and then came back. I'm like, if he's on board with this, it's got to be good, you know, and his his character is fascinating. So I'm talking about character arcs. I mean, there's a guy that. Well, there's somebody who I'm sure is the villain at this point. 
least where I'm at. If I can pick out one person who is the bad guy in this, it's him. Well, <laughs> I mean, where I'm at right now. <laughs> I mean, it all depends on how much you are into the idea that you, sh- if you're a human, you should be on the human side. And that's that's an interesting question. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to go too further down that road because in one direction there's spoilers and in the other direction there's politics. <laughs> so, well, And there's also the fact that each each character, because you, you eventually kind of split off into factions in a way. You know, you've got different characters moving in different directions, kind of headed towards the same goal. And depending on whose perspective you agree with as far as their motivations for their actions, kind of can change because you know one minute i'm like okay i'm I'm 100 bernard and all of a sudden i'm like well you know mave's got some some points here and uh you know and it, and it changes and it's interesting because it all makes sense in the context of the show but you just never know where it's going to go so I, i've tried not to settle on anybody too much because mm-hmm. one episode i'm like all right I, yep that that i'm behind these guys and the next episode i'm like fuck I don't like that. <laughs> I'm switching yeah. teams, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think the three teams really are Bernard, Maeve, and Dolores. Fairly consistently. Mm-hmm. I can I can do that. And it's not that they don't necessarily like team up when their uh interests align, but you've got some fundamental questions. It's like what should happen with the hosts? Where should they live? How should they interact with humans? Those are gonna be your questions that even exist in season one. What you were saying, Joel, like, oh, you know, oh Bernard, I feel bad. He's such a tragic character. I feel so bad for him. And then again, it's like almost every single one of these guys in this show. Oh, I feel so bad for you, Bernard. Oh my god, I find this one. Damn, Bernard. That was rough. <laughs> as as you go on there's like this they give you the niceties of the characters and then they flip the coin on you and show you the dark side of them and it happens with just about everybody in the show i can't think of any character in the show that is a true innocent you know that that's not guilty of something even if they were elsie maybe you can make a case for elsie my poor little Clementine. She was broken from the beginning. And Angela Serafian plays her. Yes. Yeah. So well. I mean, I guess Elsie, her motivations are good. I, I, I mean, I think she's got the right idea. I'm trying to think if there was any moment where she. She's kind of like maybe the. Maybe my job is with a shady corporation, but I'm going to do my job and try not to hurt anybody. And when things go too far, I'm going to try and make it right. I'm going to try and report to the appropriate people. I'm not going to go above my pay grade. And she just was kind of in over her head. I don't know. There's a a part in in two where I feel like she had her moment that kind of makes that questionable. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get too far into this. Right, like, right. I'm, that's, I'm trying to be vague. I, I'm loving right. the fact that it's already been renewed for season four, even though the, I don't think they've, uh, because of the pandemic, I don't think they've started principal photography. So it might be another year. And once you guys get to season three, if you, if you, I know Josh will, but if if the rest of the other two of you can continue, 
uh, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, they don't, it's not like the end of season two where it could potentially be an ending. It's definitely open-ended. Further advice from me, when you get to season three, persist past the first two episodes, which are entirely table setting, because once you get to third, the show puts on like rocket boots. Nice. And there's some great characters. I had a months long gap between watching the second episode and the third episode of season three. And Sarah and I were just like, had we just watched one more, we'd have finished this months ago. And if anybody is, is out there that hasn't watched or is watching and hasn't gotten there, stick around at the end of uh, the end of part of season three, because there's more that happens during the credits. And if you miss it, you're going to be sorry. There's a post credits uh, for season two as well. And I missed it. Now I got to go back. <laughs> you really do. If you missed it, damn and, it. Uh, you and I are the only people who had gotten that far. So I can't go any further. <laughs> was, was there one at the end of season one? It's been a long time. <laughs> I don't remember, okay. but I explicitly remember the post credit sequence for two. Now I'm okay. questioning season one, two. <laughs> now I have to go back and just check it out. I didn't see one. I didn't notice one. And you watched through the whole credits in season one? End of season one? No, I mean, what I did was when the credits started, I looked at the how much time was left, and I, and I never noticed any extra time. Gotcha. Not enough for a full scene. Right. Mm. That's a smart way to do it instead of going, oh, I'm done. Let's just turn it yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now you got to hurry up and get it turned off if it's like quarter to 12 and you got to do shit tomorrow. Because now it just keeps playing. I don't see anything online talking about uh, season one post credits, but I see season two and season three post credits being talked about. Yeah. And if you somehow, Joel, if you somehow missed the season two post credits, go back and check it out. Yeah, I'm going to go back. This is a series that I could absolutely go back and rewatch. For anyone who is new to it, if you're offended by penises, vaginas and boobs, uh, it's probably not the show for you. Or even sexualized violence. Let, let's face it. Like, yeah. if we're we're not usually a show that worries about trigger warnings, but like, there are a few potential fucking triggers in this show. Yeah, yeah. There, this show does not really pull any punches. Literally, it, literally, right. Yeah. Lots of punching. Sidebar question. I don't know if we're getting to a point where where we're kind of running out of steam on the show itself, but. Something that that we had talked about briefly uh, when we were watching it. If something like this existed, would you go? Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. If somebody wanted to spot me the forty thousand dollars a day, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, we're just assuming we're just assuming you've got that because right. Joel's asking. Yeah, he's going to yeah. pay for us. If I have, yeah, if I have the money, yeah, for sure. If you could do another world, what would what would you do? Hmm. Hmm. There was a Shadowrun-ish one. Ooh. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm up Shadowrun to know that that's not that much fun. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that would be fun or just stressful. <laughs> well, right? the first, like, three minutes probably would be a lot of fun, and then it would all come crashing down on you. <laughs> <laughs> this world's scary. I'm just going to stay inside and watch TV. The TV's better. Speaking of which, in the movie, when uh, what's his name gets arrested for killing Yul Brenner and he ends up in the jail, 
I was like, that that would be me. I'm like, I'm paying a thousand dollars a day to be in jail. <laughs> That'd be Joel's outcome if he went to Westworld. And I want to call back to that to that sheriff. Hey, here I'm. Here's this random woman coming in. I'm just bringing in a tray of food for the prisoner. Ah, better check that out. Eh, it looks fine. <laughs> right. He looked real hard at that. That one quick look. Yeah, yeah looks like yeah. breakfast. That's cool. Oh, man, they're serving coffee and guns now. <laughs> uh, before we uh, start heading towards the end, one other major topic I wanted to talk about is the music. Mm. Yeah. One of the rewinds that we had on this show with me and Susie was, what is the player piano playing this time? Right? Yeah, every, yep. every episode, that's what I was doing. I was like, what song is this going to be? A lot of Radiohead in the first season. That's why I didn't get some of them, I guess, because I've never been a big Radiohead fan. But sometimes it's like, this is familiar. What the fuck is it? Like, that continues on even into season three. Last yeah. night, we had to pause, and I'm Googling frantically. <laughs> and and there's sites dedicated to the music. And, uh, I mean, the composer himself, uh, Raymond something, is is amazing. And, yeah, the, the use of music in it is kind of brilliant. Yeah, and I, I think in general, like a lot of new shows have been killing it on the music front, but Westworld really deserves special mention. I mean, lately, almost all the shows that I've been like super into have been on HBO. And as far as I'm concerned, with the exception of The Wire, Westworld might be the best one that they've done. Uh, Raymond Jawadi. Yeah. It's the composer. Yeah, I, I, I got to give uh, Lovecraft Country a few more episodes to uh, find its feet before I declare where its final position is going to be. I, I'm a big fan, but Westworld for me right now is a solid number two on HBO all time, e- eclipsing The Sopranos barely. And he did Game of Thrones, Westworld, uh, Jack Ryan, The Strain, um, Going Back Away's Prison Break. I even did Blade the series, which I enjoyed. Yeah, dude's got skills. Yeah, there is a lot of freaking Radiohead. Yeah, it's it's all primarily Kid A era stuff, but he does, I think, Paranoid Android and maybe OK Computer? I think near the end of season one, there's an entire episode that's focused on Nirvana. Yeah, there's some... Uh, there's some... Is it season one or season two that has uh, has heart shaped box? Well, well th- uh, there's crap. I was I was scrolling through the through the music of the show and I almost I saw half a spoiler. Yeah, don't, talking about why the music was playing. Yeah, don't 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 deal delve too deep. You'll you'll ruin something for you. And this is not a show you want to ruin something. Now I'm also Aka Akicheta. Uh, yeah, Akicheta. Akacheta, yes. So I'm. That was the guy who I got on the per- that goofy personality test that all of us were taking. Oh yeah. So now I'm finally gonna figure out what the hell that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did the internet just insult me or compliment me? I'm not sure. Maybe both. Yeah. Thank you, but screw you, internet. I don't know. <laughs> I wish we had enough time to finish watching all of this. Because I think the conversation of all of we didn't want to spoil things for us it would be a lot. 
deeper and probably another two hours long. Right. This episode, like if we'd gone all the way through deep dive on all three seasons, this would be a really long episode. Yeah, it would. I mean, well, I mean, there's podcasts that literally do nothing but each show, show by show. So, and then they go back and look at them again. So this sh- this Westworld is a lot more in depth than I was expecting it to be. Um, the writing is amazing, and like you said, those time bomb plot devices that just show up four episodes later, and you're like, God damn, that's why that that's why they focused on it is all over the place but yeah we're i wish i could i could have finished more but i didn't want to be that guy who watches ahead in the show and then and saw more wieners so are we all gonna actually finish all three seasons oh yeah yeah definitely i I know i am i'm i'm close enough and joel's already seen everything except for one little post-credit sequence which sounds like it's um, important yeah, I would have gotten all the way through season two if I hadn't had to work so much these last couple of days. Which is a good thing. So no, yeah, I'm not, no, no harm, no foul there. I'm, um, making, what, I'm making excuses, just telling you what happened. This is one, a thing. One of the other things that, uh, real quick, that I, I noticed about the scene, they do a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Re- reusing scenes that happened at different points through the show. And I, I give them a lot of credit for the way that they reveal things. And where it's not broadcast, but they they also use a lot of the same footage over again to kind of keep things fresh and also to kind of give you a, a an an insight into what the person is thinking without you know like a monologue or a narrator or something like that. And it, I guess it yeah works really well. There are some shows that like so overstress what is about to happen. That's like, listen, we're not stupid. We followed you this far. You don't have to like telegraph it this hard. And they don't do it, but they do give you enough of a reminder so that you're not like, well, that was bullshit. It it doesn't insult your intelligence. That's for sure. Yeah. It's like either you get it, you don't, or you just enjoy the the boobs and, and gunfights. Although I will say that they know as seasons go on, that's like, okay, you've been with us this far. We're going to set up this stuff and nothing's going to make sense. And we are going to trust that you will trust us that eventually it will. Mm-hmm. That's some prisoner level shit. Yeah, there, there's definitely some stuff I, I can say without spoiling specific uh, plot points in season three, where it's like in the first episode or two, you're just like, okay, I understand what I'm seeing, but not why. And then they start filling in the background. You need to understand what you've already seen. And they're even making callbacks to the first season. Yeah. That's kind of what I was talking about with those like grenades or landmines. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a show where you can skip around until you've already seen everything. And each episode, even though it might be sort of encapsulated, is all telling an, a bigger overarching story. And I kind of wonder how much is planned out and how much is happenstance. You know, like, okay, well, this is what happened here. Well, where are we going to go next? Either way, brilliant. Yes. So, so yeah, I, I guess we're there. We're there. Are we going to thumbs up, thumbs down it? I mean, we always do, even when it's shockingly obvious, which I can think of. <laughs> this week yeah I, i'm thumbs up on both me too i mean yeah i i made no secrets of the fact that this 
HBO show is one of my all-time favorite shows. And uh, the original was pleasantly surprising, even if I'm going to admit that maybe it's because my expectations were super low. So thumbs up all the way around. I'm the same. Two thumbs up. Cool. And despite my my kind of negative commentary on some of the the way that the original film was handled it's still an enjoyable film and i would i would probably watch it again at some point so yeah thumbs up on both big thumbs up on the on the new series absolutely yeah so joel what do we got coming up it is that time of year kids october is upon us and so for our first episode of october we are going to be covering the original dario Argento suspiria and the recent remake Interesting. I have not yes. seen either of these. So I, this is going to be very, very interesting because uh, I, I love the original. And I'm not sure that's going to be necessarily the prevailing opinion. <laughs> it's it's kind of divisive. You know? It is very divisive in general. And yeah. I think it will be specifically for us. So I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I am not looking forward to it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> So if uh, you have your thoughts on, uh, let us know. Was there something big that we should have talked about about Westworld that we just forgot, slipped our mind, or like a specific uh, plot element that uh, you feel deserved a little bit more attention? Let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And again, like I said, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM. Find us on uh, iHeartRadio and on Spotify. We are all over the freaking place. So, until next week, when we find out what does Pat think about Surprise, yeah. We'll be back. Thank you for listening. Octoboo. Shut up. (laughs) October boo? Octoboo. It is not eight boos. Boo, 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 boo. It can be. (laughs) Octoboob. Disable your rage subroutine. Yeah. Bring yourself back online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Diagnostics. <laughs> Analysis. Why isn't it Octobu? Because, because it's not. It's not Octobu. That's why it's not. Disable Octobu. your rage subroutine. <laughs> Disable. <laughs> <laughs> Ha 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 and a couple of chalalas. <laughs> I don't know how to react to that. Someone is on OfferUp is selling two cans of four loco for a hundred and fifty bucks. Why? They're the original four loco. It's got caffeine. Scrub, scrub, it's still four loco. Yeah. Whether you're ten or bronze. Four loco, proving that there is some shit even Mike won't drink. That certain air of savoir faire in the merry Orlando Oz. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pat's still going to town. <laughs> Get a little money in his pocket, and he's all of a sudden the mayor of Munchkinland. <laughs> <laughs>
funniest thing you've said in the weeks. (laughs) 